Good evening. We were discussing the halachas of dosh, threshing, and the relevance of threshing in the kitchen. Just to run briefly over the few halachas that we discussed in the previous year, we discussed at length the aspect of dosh, which is known as mafarik, which means to separate liquids from solids. We discussed the halacha of removing honey from a honeycomb on Shabbos. May one remove honey from a honeycomb, and since honey is considered a liquid and the honeycomb is considered a solid, so to crush the honeycomb on Shabbos or Yom Tov would be forbidden because you are separating the liquid from the solid, and that's a tolder of dosh, that's the malacha of mefarik. Um, therefore, we, we explained those people who like to have a honeycomb on Rosh Hashanah should be careful to crush the honeycomb before the onset of Yom Tov, so that the honey is considered separated before Yom Tov, and then any honey that comes out or you take out on Yom Tov is not considered mefarik anymore because it's considered loose and it's a separate entity already. We then moved on to talk about squeezing fruits, which is really the, the uh, bulk of the halacha of mefarik, squeezing fruits on Shabbos and Yom Tov to remove, to, to juice, to, to take out the juice from the fruits. And we explained as follows. We said, when it comes to grapes and olives, grapes and olives, to squeeze the juice out of grapes and olives is a malacha de raisa. That's the malacha de raisa, biblical issa of mefarik. Any other fruits and vegetables where it's the normal manner of using that fruit and vegetable is to, at times, squeeze and try and juice, take the juice out of the, um, extract the juice from the fruit and vegetable, and that's also midrabonon. Minatari, we assume that zesim and are the only, veg- only fruits that you will actually juice. When it comes to any other fruits and vegetables, the assumption is that they're there for eating, not for juicing. However, since it's become perfectly normal for us to juice all different types of fruits and vegetables, so therefore to squeeze any fruit and vegetable and remove the juice from the fruit on Shabbos is a malachad rabbanon of mefarik. And therefore we explain to make apple, or apple juice or orange juice or pineapple juice or grapefruit juice or tomato juice or kiwi juice, you name it nowadays, they've got all bunkers things out there, and all that is considered mefarik and forbidden. We also discussed very briefly that the, any juice which seeps away from the fruits, even on its own on Shabbos and Yom Tov, is considered mashkin shazov, is considered muksa, and therefore forbidden to be drunk on Shabbos and Yom Tov. We'll come back to that a bit later because it's relevant to something that we would like to discuss today. Another difference we explained between olives and grapes and all other fruits, not only is one a, a biblical command and one's only a rabbinical command, but the practical difference would be if you took the fruits and vegetables and you try to suck the juice out of it. May I suck the juice out of the fruits and vegetables? So if I take a grape and it, it's, it's something which could easily happen on a Shabbos. You take a grape and you cut it in half and you suck the juice out. Especially kids like to do that. It's a bit irritating, but they like to do that. They take the, the grape and they suck the juice out of it. It says the, the Mishnah Brewer that would be forbidden by grapes and olives. Since it's a biblical command that you're not allowed to remove the juice from grapes and olives, so to suck the juice out, even though it's going directly into your mouth and going to be drunk immediately, would also be, be forbidden. However, when it comes to other fruits and vegetables, since it's only a biblical issue, it's not a then the Mishnah Brewer is quite makele. So yes, you can take an orange and suck the juice out of an orange, but you can't take an olive or a, or a grape and suck the juice out of the olive or the grape. We then want to discuss that the Issa of Mefarik is only if you squeeze the fruits or vegetables for the sake of the juice itself, where you want to drink the juice as a juice. However, if you're going to squeeze it in order to add to a solid so that A, the solid could be 
improved by the addition of this fruit, by the, by the addition of this juice, or it becomes totally absorbed inside the solid, then we don't consider that an extraction of a juice from a solid, but rather we consider it an extraction of a solid from a solid, because since I'm taking this out in order that it should join another solid, it's considered a solid being separated from a solid, and that's not mafaric. That's just taking a solid and cutting it in half. It's like just taking an orange and, and segmenting it. That's absolutely fine. You're, even if you pinch it, you're, but you're, you're squeezing it onto a solid, it's either going to enhance the solid or it's going to be absorbed by the solid. That's not considered mafaric because you haven't removed a mashka from an echo. The rule of mafaric is it's got to be a, a juice, a liquid from a solid. Two solids is never mafaric. Two solids is never mafaric. Doesn't matter doesn't matter. A liquid is only a liquid if it's going to be used as a liquid. Uh, inside the orange is still called a solid. It's not called a liquid. It's only called a liquid when it's extracted and going to be used as a liquid. So if I'm using it to join onto a solid, either to enhance the solid or to... or it's going to be absorbed by the solid, that's absolutely fine. So therefore we said, for instance, if you want to squeeze your lemon on your fish on Shabbos, that's absolutely fine because you're squeezing on the fish. It might not be absorbed into the fish, but it's going to enhance the taste of the fish. And therefore that would be considered, um, uh, not considered mafaric and would be perfectly permitted. Or to squeeze your, uh, lem- your lemon onto some icing, because it's a bit tasteless and you want to give it a bit of a lemon taste, it's going to be absorbed into the icing, this, this lemon. That's absolutely fine, this juice, because what you're doing is you're taking a liquid, a, to extracting it for the sake of the solid, perfectly permitted, no problem at all. You can't squeeze into liquid, because by squeezing a, a liquid out of a solid into a liquid, you're turning it into liquid. But so, so squeeze it on the on the on the solid. Yeah. Squeeze it on the solid. But I don't think that's called squeezing on liquid because you're squeezing on, on on the vegetables. You're squeezing on the vegetables. So adding uh, uh, lemon juice to salad, uh, to salad should be absolutely fine. You shouldn't be drink eating that drinking that that fruit. Yes, we discussed how to make. Well, I wasn't going to discuss it now. How to make a a fruit salad, for instance. So if you're going to cut up the the grapes and you put them in at the bottom of the of the salad and then some juice will come out because when you cut up grapes they might you're going to end up with some juice coming out and that's no good so what we, did, we explained last week was you should, you should put it into a ready made salad so any juice that comes out is absorbed immediately by the other fruits and can't, can't be and is not considered a, a liquid at all making a tea would be a lemon tea on Shabbos could be problematic if you're going to take a tea make a tea the way one does make a tea on Shabbos that's not for today's discussion and squeeze a lemon into your tea, you're then squeezing a liquid out of a solid for the liquid's sake. That would be mafaric. So what we explained last week, uh, not last week, I wish it was last week, what we explained a few weeks ago was that if you slice a piece of lemon and drop it into the liquid, into the tea, it will automatically on its own ex- uh, allow some of the lemon out into the liquid. Uh, it's, that's perfectly permitted. Why it's perfectly permitted is, is a long discussion. Because I think you made, raised the point last time that since uh, the lemon is bought for squeezing, it, then any juice that comes out should be completely forbidden. But th- there is enormous discussion why it's permitted, but it is 100% permitted to take a slice of lemon and drop it into the tea. You can't take your spoon and then squeeze the lemon against the side of the cup, because that way you are extracting the liquid from the solid again. But to drop it in and allow the juice to, the, the hot water, the hot tea, to actually draw out the lemon and give the taste of lemon into the tea, that's absolutely permitted. We spoke about eating a grapefruit, and this is where this becomes a bit difficult in Shabbos, eating a grapefruit in Shabbos. Every time you eat a grapefruit, you are almost inevitably going to be squeezing out some of the juice, and you're going to be eating it together. Now here the Poskim say that's not a problem. To eat a grapefruit, even though you're going to inevitably extract some of that juice, that's fine. 
that's fine because that's called normal method of eating and that's not called extracting juice. But something, something that we like to do and, and some, some of us when we eat a, a grapefruit might take the spoon and press the spoon down onto the top of the grapefruit, grapefruit to, to, draw, to extract some of that juice and drink it. Um, it you, sometimes you get some grapefruits which are quite, uh, quite wet and before instead of eating the grapefruit and having it go all over your face, what you do is you draw out some of the, uh, some of the liquid, that will be completely awesome because you are extracting juice from a, li- from a solid for the purpose of drinking. That's no good. That's no good. So yes, eat grapefruits and Shabbos with the greatest of pleasure and have a good, uh, with, you know, with the best appetite in the world. But make sure, it's, it's almost second nature sometimes, you just scoop up the, the, the liquid from the uh, top of the grape juice and you, and you uh, grapefruit and you drink it. That would be completely awesome. But to eat the grapefruit, that's absolutely fine. Those, those are the basic principles that we discussed in the previous year. We need to move on now and discuss another angle of Mepharic. And then I'd like to discuss uh, halacha, which is not so relevant, but it's relevant at times, um, the, the halacha of expressing milk on Shabbos. How, what, and when, may one, may, may one not, etc. Um, it's, uh, hopefully it's on the, on the machine, so people who it's relevant for will be able to, uh, to listen to it. But before we do that, there's one area of mefarik, which is a direct continuation of the, what we discussed in the previous year, and that's what's known as, in, in Chazal, it's known as Eating squeezing out pickles. Squeezing out pickles. Now, here, what we've discussed up until now is taking a natural, a naturally grown item, a fruit, a vegetable, which has within it, naturally, it has within it as part of its makeup, a liquid, and we're squeezing that liquid from the solid, and that's called mafaric, and that's also. Here we're talking about something slightly different. We're talking about you have a solid, which is perfectly dry. You then cook it in a liquid. Or you pickle it in a liquid. So that solid now absorbs the liquid from an external source, but it's now completely saturated with this liquid. So you'd have a pickled cucumber which is saturated with pickle juice. You don't want the juice in the pickle. So what do you do? You take the pickle and you squeeze out the juice. You squeeze out the juice. Well, let's talk about something a bit more practical. You look at me as if I'm a bit funny because nobody squeezes out pickle, pickle juice from a pickle. But let's talk about a can of tuna. You have a can of tuna which is completely soaked, completely soaked in oil. So the minute, what do we do? You open a can of tuna and you drain the oil off the can of tuna. We're not discussing opening cans of Shabbos. If you have a can of tuna on Shabbos and you want to drain off the oil, may you drain off the oil. Here I am, I'm going to squeeze the, the tuna. That's what you do, you pressurize the tuna. More often than not, you will actually use the lid of the, of the tin of the tuna. We'll come back to that in a bit in a moment in a few moments to discuss whether we can do that on Shabbos but more often than not you'll open the, the can of tuna you'll squeeze the lid down to extract as much oil as possible don't forget oil is very dangerous saturated oils are terrible they're very unhealthy for the heart and etc etc so you try to, to extract as much oil as possible so that you should have uh, an oil free or an oil less tuna is that permitted on Shabbos is, not, is that not permitted on Shabbos here I, here I am extracting a liquid from a solid it's true that the liquid was originally a liquid, but it was then became saturated inside this solid, and I'm now extracting it again back to its original status, back to the liquid. May I do that, may I not do that? And here Chazal tell us that if the purpose of squeezing is for the sake of the food, because you don't want the liquid in the food, then that's permitted. That is perfectly permitted. If the purpose is so that you should drink the liquid, that would be completely forbidden. So, to take a can of tuna and squeeze it would be perfectly permitted, because why do I want to remove the oil? Not because I want to drink the oil, because you might as well then leave it in the tuna and eat 
uh, slightly more moist tuna. But you want to remove the oil because I want the food to be without this liquid. That's perfectly permitted in the Shabbos. But to remove the liquid for the sake of the liquid, that would be awesome. So let's just for a moment sidetrack and discuss how can you actually drain a, a can of tuna on Shabbos. We'll just use that as an example. This will come across, we'll come to a few other examples in a moment. You have a problem of boyer here as well. Besides the a problem of schita, you'll have a problem of boyer. You're separating the psalis from the oichel. So what do you do? Now, here the answer is that you can't separate it in any other way. Therefore, you are allowed to take the psalis away from the oichel as long as it's exactly prior to your eating. So you can't get up in the Shabbos morning and squeeze your cans of tuna to make a tuna salad for, I don't know what, for your kiddush, uh, Shabbos morning, then go off to shul and then come back, because there would be a problem with boyer. But we have another issue when it comes to boyer, that boyer cannot be performed using a normal vessel that one would normally use to perform that, that method of boyer. So we can't use a sieve on Shabbos, we can't use any type of instrument, we don't use a peel on Shabbos, because though peeling is permitted on Shabbos, but you don't use the type of vessel that one normally uses for boyer. So would one be allowed to use the lid of a can, of a tuna can, to press it down to remove that oil? If the standard procedure, now I don't know what goes on in everybody else's houses, I can only tell you what goes on in my house, and my wife's away, so that's okay, I'm safe. In my house, when I open a can of tuna when she's away, I'll take the lid and I'll squeeze it down. Uh, if you disagree with me, then fine. But in my house, that's the normal thing to do, and I'm pretty certain that's probably normal in, in most other places as well. If that's the normal thing to do, then this lid of the can now becomes a vessel that one normally uses to separate the oil from the food. That would be awesome. So yes, you may squeeze your tuna on Shabbos, you may remove the tuna on Shabbos, but to remove it only prior to, to when you're about to eat it, and w- without the lid, that's when it's permitted. But to use it, to remove it earlier than necessary, or using any method which is, any vessel which is the norm to remove the oil, that would be forbidden. So therefore to squeeze the lid might actually be a problem of boyer. But we're discussing now mafarik. In the halachas of mafarik, as long as you're removing the oil so that you can have a, a better tasting food, that's perfectly permitted. But if you have no other choice, it's like peeling, it's like peeling, a, uh, like peeling a, a, a fruit. But then you'll get all the oil with you. No, yeah, but there's oil inside. There's oil. What we, when we squeeze, well, first we remove the oil. Oh, you're losing the whole share. We have just, uh, yes, you just lost everything. We'll start, we'll start all over again. You, you can definitely buy tuna, but I'm not a doctor. If you want my health, health advice, then you're right. Health advice, buy tuna with water. But if you, for some reason, cannot stand tuna with water, and you must, must buy tuna in oil, and you want to squeeze every bit of oil out of the tuna, not good enough just to take the oil which is outside. You want to sque- squeeze the oil out of the tuna, you can't do it in any other way. Squeeze it, but make sure you do it just before you eat, and you don't use any vessel that's the normal method of using it. In order to placate Mrs. I've forgotten your name now, I'm going to Wittenberg. In order to play this, we'll talk about something completely different. Let's talk about meat. You've made meat, and you've, you've, you've been reading the Bina magazine, and you've come out with some unbelievable recipes. And you've made this new meat with this absolutely amazing gravy. And you serve the meat, and it's saturated with this gravy. And your poor husband says, in terms of, says, I don't like soaking meat. And he wants to remove some of that gravy. So here he is. He's going to take a spoon. He's going to squeeze the meat so that the gravy can move to side, and then you can eat a piece of meat like a mensch. You need to eat a normal piece of meat. Here we have the same problem. Now, if you're going to squeeze the gravy out of the piece of meat so that you can drink and eat, drink that gravy, that would be awesome. That would be awesome because you're removing a liquid 
from a solid, despite the fact that this liquid and the solid really originated as two separate items, that would be also. But to remove it so that you can eat the meat, that would be permitted. Now, where there's a discussion, a very interesting discussion in the, in the poskim, is what would happen if you cooked your meat in a wine gravy, in a wine sauce. Whereas wine is already considered a mashka to a greater extent than any other type of liquid. Would that be permitted on Shabbos to squeeze the wine out of your, the wine gravy out of your meat or not? That's a big discussion in the Pasuk. Some Pasuk say, since it's wine, you've got to be much more machmir. Some say, no, it doesn't make a difference. And they say, it's kvashim, it's not a, a, a grape with, with, a, with grape juice inside, and that's it's permitted. A huge discussion in the Pasuk. If anybody ever makes uh, meat with wine and they like to squeeze the gravy out, please come and ask. <laughs> Another example that Pascal can talk about, I'll only mention, mention very briefly here, is a kugel. If you make a kugel and you've had too much oil in the kugel, then most of us here will say throw it away. But some people, especially the Bokken, would like to squeeze the oil out. And, uh, so, so it's not so relevant for this venue here, but it can be relevant for, for other venues. Same problem. But a chalant is not, uh, it's not saturated. The chalant is, is too separate. There's a liquid. It's, it's, you can have... That, that, but that's the problem of barrier. That's not a problem of mafaric. Mafaric is only when it's saturated and absorbed by the solid, and then we, re, we, we extract it from the solid. So normally we talk about fruits where the... Hakosh created it with the liquid inside. Here we're talking about where man has saturated this solid with a liquid, and we now want to extract it. That's called... That's called crushing. That's called removing juice from a pickle. It really means removing juice from anything solid. It's just in the time of Chazal, the, the most common example would be pickling your onions, pickling your cucumbers. They didn't have such nice little cucumbers like we had. They used to pickle proper cucumbers, and they were totally saturated with, uh, with, with uh, pickle juice, and the method was to squeeze them out and remove the liquid so that you can eat the pickle. Okay, so that brings us to the end of, more or less, the halakha mefarik of fruits and vegetables. Removing juice from fruits and vegetables. Let's discuss now an extremely practical halach, and it's very relevant. It's probably one of my m- more common shilas um, uh, 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 from younger members of the killer on Shabbos, is the idea of expressing mother's milk on Shabbos. Now, the Chazal tell us that to express mother's milk on Shabbos is a problem of mafarik. A child who nurses is no problem. Why it's no problem is not for the discussion here tonight, but that's a normal method that's not called mafarik, even though the child is actually removing the, and, and the liquid from a non-liquid base that doesn't bother us, that's not called mafarik, that's absolutely fine. A child may, without any problems, remove and, and nurse from the mother and remove the liquid from the solid. The problem arises, though, is when you want to remove, you want to express the, the milk, but not for the purpose, well, 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 let's, let's see what you want to express the milk, but without the child nursing. Now, there can be many reasons why you want to express the milk without going through a normal procedure of nursing. It could be because the mother is in pain, and therefore the procedure is to express the milk so that the mother shouldn't become engorged, there shouldn't be any infection, or the pain should subside. It could be that the child is not able to, to suck. The child doesn't, has, doesn't yet have the sucking instinct, especially premature babies, which is very common. The sucking instinct only kicks in at 36 weeks or something. I don't know exactly which, around about 36 weeks. And if you don't, if the child's born slightly premature, we, the, the, method, the normal method of feeding the child is to express the mother's milk give it to the child even through a tube if necessary because the mother's milk is the best method of best type of food for that, for that child so the mother will have to express and she has to express regularly because the moment she doesn't express then the milk will begin to dry up 
So she has to constantly express, A, to keep up the milk bank for the needs of a child, B, so that she shouldn't dry up, or C, because she's in pain, and therefore she has to express. How does one go about that on Shabbos? Now that's clear. To express directly, manually. To express manually is an Issa Mafarik. Could be a biblical Issa, an Issa maybe even in Atariya. To remove a liquid from a solid, to express mother's milk from the mother, could be a Malachadraisa. Probably is a Malachadraisa. It's a Malachadraisa of Mafarik. So we therefore have now a problem on our hands. We have here this mother who needs to express this milk for one of the three reasons that we've explained. How does she go about it? Now if you go back historically, historically there was almost nothing they could do. Besides, a very, very inconvenient method of being mafaric less than a shear. Less than a shear is only also midrab bonon, and therefore the tzayich, the child, all the tzayich, the pain of the mother, they were allowed to express less than a shear. The shear of mafaric is around about a teaspoon. So you can imagine, you can imagine, that's right, you'll be at it a long time, a very long time. Very inconvenient, but that's the, the, that was historically the simplest method of expressing without in any way transgressing a malacha deraisa of mafarik. In modern day terms, we have hand pumps and electrical pumps. Let's talk about the hand pump first. When we, the mother needs to express purely to relieve pain or to keep up the supply of milk, but not so that the milk should be preserved for the sake of the child, then the simplest method to do is as follows. The, the mafaric is only mafaric if the liquid is usable, is edible. The moment the liquid is not edible, then you haven't extracted liquid from a solid. But that means you have to somehow or other ensure that the liquid which is extracted from this solid or from its base becomes unusable almost at the moment of, almost at the point of extraction. So therefore the simplest method to do. In the time of Chazal, what would they do in that situation? They would express straight onto the floor expressed onto the floor so that the, the moment it's, it, it, it's released from its solid base it's, non, it's not a liquid it never becomes a liquid because it goes to waste straight away it's not drinkable it's not edible and therefore that's not called mafarik that's the simplest method in time of Chazal nowadays that will be frowned upon from all quarters all sides so what do we do the simplest thing to do is you take a hand pump you in the bottle in the jar in the part of the pump that would actually collect the milk you put in some fairy liquid you put some fairy liquid and then you, then you express, you can express with a hand pump. You express with a hand pump, the, the, the milk will then fall into the container, but the moment it falls into the container, it's contaminated, totally contaminated, cannot be used, can't be drunk, and it's perfectly okay. That is the simplest method, and that's the method that we use all the time when all we're trying to do is release, express, so that the, there should be some relief of pain, or we should keep the supply of the milk going. When we actually need the milk, and we come into a far more difficult situation. When we actually need the milk, we can't contaminate the milk at the point of the expressing. So therefore, we have a real problem on our hands. What do I do with the issa of mafarik? I have a real problem of mafarik. So here now, modern technology has really solved a very big problem. As I said, historically, all you had to, what you had to do was express a pachasmikashir, and that was a real pain in the neck. It was a real pain in the neck, a, a, a very difficult, tedious, and very uncomfortable. Nowadays, we have modern technology, so we have electric pumps. Electric pumps, therefore, solve this problem enormously. What do we do with an electric pump? We plug it in on a time switch. We plug it in on a time switch. You could technically ask a non-Jew to do a few. You could technically ask a non-Jew to do a few. But it's uncomfortable and it's not so nice. So what we do is we plug in the, the pump on a time switch. And the, a few moments before the time switch is about to switch on, you place the pump in the position, the relevant position, whatever's needed, whatever the position is, you place the pump on, on the position, 
and as soon as the, the tire switches on, it'll stop pumping. Now, you haven't actually been mafarik here. You've done nothing. All you've done is moved something, which is probably muksa, but it's the sayyuk, so that's fine. You take up, you've taken a, an, a, an, a, an electronic pump, which is not working. You've placed it in position, so have you started pumping? You haven't done anything. The pump then switches on, it starts pumping itself. So it's being mafarik on its own. You have not transgressed the malachah of mafarik. You have now expressed that milk without doing any mafarik. And that milk can now go into the, 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 the receptacle, into the, into the uh, jar, the jug, the bottle, they actually now come with bottles that screw on them, and you can retain the milk, perfectly, perfectly permitted to retain the milk. We'll discuss in a moment why there's no problem of what we call maskum shazavu, liquids that come out of a solid become up, so we'll discuss that in a moment. But that is the simplest method nowadays of expressing without transgressing the malachah mafarik. Even if it's... Makes no difference. Makes no difference. You're not doing the mafarik yet. You're not doing the mafarik. You're not doing the mafarik. The... What you have to be careful is to make sure that you actually place the pump in position before it switches on. Because once it's switched on, if you then place the pump in position, then you have been the one that's caused the pumping. If you're the one that's pumping, that's already mafarik. So you have to be very on the ball and you have to make sure that you know exactly the timing of the time switch and you, you've got to sit there and look at the time switch make sure it's about to come because you don't want to stay there for an hour beforehand with the pump in position that's also going to be uncomfortable and you make sure you know the exact timing you put it on a few moments before and absent no problem at all you, that is, you can take it off when you like you can take it when you like but yeah technically you can take it off when you like that is the simplest pro- the simplest way to get around the fire and in fact it really does work it really does work you just have to make sure you have an electric pump. Nowadays, all the hospitals have electric pumps, and all the gemachim have electric pumps. They're, they're all over the place, uh, and it really is not a problem. It really isn't a problem. It's worth knowing this, because I often get calls a few minutes before Shabbos. I've just realized, what am I supposed to do, etc., etc. I don't have a gemach for pumps. Um, perhaps I should. I don't have a gemach for pumps, but one can access them pretty quickly. You can access them very quickly. Uh, but it's worth anybody who is, uh, deals or has any connection to nursing mothers, it's worth them knowing that they should have access to an electric pump before Shabbos, in case they actually need to go to the process of pumping on Shabbos, they have their the electric pump plugged in, etc. I've had people plug it in hospitals, wherever, all over the place. It really does work, and it, it's a method which is extremely, extremely useful with, to get around the problem of Farag, and it's very comfortable, it's convenient, and it's comfortable. The problem of Mashkin Shazov is a slightly different problem. Now, we discussed in the previous year that if you allow, as we mentioned before, if you just, a juice which comes out of a fruit on Shabbos is also considered muksa. Since I can't squeeze a juice out on Shabbos, it's therefore considered muksa. So here are a different problem. Maybe it's true that I'm not the one that's being, doing the pumping. I'm not the one that's being over the mafarik because the electric pump is doing it on its own. But what happens to the problem of liquids that come out of a solid on their own on Shabbos? Why is the liquid not muksa? So here there's two, two answers to that. The first answer is a simple, simple answer is that here we're dealing with a child, a baby, who's desperate for nutrition, desperate for nourishment, and therefore anything like that, all drab are waived. We do not mind the, uh, the fact that this is Mashkin Shazavu, the Tzoyach Tenek, the Tzoyach Chela, have admitted. But there's a, an, another understanding behind this which the, the Poskim discuss, and they say it could be that the only time Mashkin Shazavu, liquids which actually flow out of a fruit, is, is forbidden, it's only when there's no method of me actually extracting that liquid from the fruit. I can't ever take grape juice out of a, out of a grape on Shabbos. I can eat the grape, but I can't take, I can never extract the juice from the grape. I can never extract the juice from a lemon. I can squeeze the lemon onto a food, but that's not extracting juice. I can't extract juice from a lemon. So therefore, mashkin shazov will be awesome. However, if 
if, if it's normal, if the lemon is there for the juice. However, here, there is a method of extracting the juice in a perfectly permitted way. The child can nurse. It might be that this child technically can't nurse, but the child can nurse. If the child can nurse, therefore the, the liquid is not considered moksha, and therefore there's no problem with is over. So, however we look at it, if we get around the problem of Farrakh, and we have the electric pump doing the actual work of the pumping, so we're not the ones who are transgressing the Farrakh, and the liquid then is gathered together in this bottle, there's no problem with Mashkin Shazovel because either the child needs it or it's not considered Mashkin Shazovel to start with. Nobody can turn around and say, nowadays we have all these uh, formula milks and therefore it's not so necessary to have the mother milk and, and why bother and just get rid of it and give the child formula milk and all the fuss can agree when it comes to that that, we, that formula milk is not a real substitute for mother's milk and therefore we never take it into account we never take it into account when it comes to the livelihood of a, of a child. So for instance, when it comes to fasting, do we allow a mother to fast when she's feeding? If the fasting is going to affect the, her ability to nurse, then we say don't fast. We don't fast. If she's in Kippur, it's more complicated, and we'd have to find ways around it, shurim, etc. But a, an average fast will say, Tanah is about to come up in a few weeks' time, a nursing mother friends and says, yes, my child struggles when I'm fasting, I will say, definitely don't fast. I will not say to her, go and buy some formula and give, her a bo- give him a bottle, even if he's able to take a bottle. Because at the end of the day, there's no substitute for mother's milk for a child. And we can therefore consider that the basic nutrition of a child, and we do not require you to go and find a substitute. Don't fast is much better than fasting and finding a substitute. There's also the risk that if somebody fasts, that the milk, could, the milk supply could be reduced, and which is a long-term, again, go use formula. And the answer is, formula is not a substitute for mother's milk. Medically, it's not a substitute, and unluckily we take on it's not a substitute, because HaKashvachal created man that a child should nurse from the mother and that's what Hashem understood to be or created the world to be the primary nutrition and nourishment for a child and therefore we don't, we don't even take formula into the equation at all this very question of nursing mothers is not so relevant anymore for us but the idea of milking a cow on Shabbos is a very big problem because milking a cow on Shabbos is exactly the same issue you are removing the milk from a cow which is uh, an oichel really not much more than an oichel, and you're extracting a liquid. So you are again over the Yisrael Mepharic. And the Gemara talks about this. Uh, are you allowed to actually suck the milk out of a cow directly with your mouth? Would that be a problem? Sorry to, to make you squeamish. That, it, it, would that be okay? Would it not be okay? The Gemara talks about a case of uh, somebody who's unwell and needed to have direct milk from a cow, etc. Modern technology nowadays, again, in the, the, the uh, Institute for Modern Technology in Yisrael, which is the one that creates all these different uh, Shabbos, uh, electronics, uh, electronic equipment and for hospitals, etc. Ha- they've created fantastic systems for, for cows that the cows can go in and it starts off on its own, etc., etc., etc. We have a problem with mushkinches over there a little bit more. There is a problem with mushkinches over and, and some of them make it go to waste, etc., etc. It's not so relevant on a single Shabbos because often they can get, a, get away with one Shabbos. But when you have a Shabbos and a Yomta together, or if you live in Chutzlars and you have a Shabbos and two days of Yomta together, and you, you, you just have to milk that cow just for the cow's sake. For, to, to prevent the cow from becoming ill. Uh, therefore, you have to come to some, some type of method to be able to milk that cow, even if the, the, milk, the, the, the milk goes to waste. And they've come with tremendous methods to get around the problem of... But that's not relevant for us, because I don't think any of us have a cow in our back garden that needs milking on Shabbos. Because that brings us to the end of the, the melachas of Dosh in the kitchen. We've discussed at length the melachas of Dosh, and the relevance in the kitchen, and you can see that though Dosh seems to be a, a melacha which is in times of Chazal its primary function was in the field where you, used to, you would be dosh in the field it has extreme relevance to us nowadays as we discussed 
eating peanuts, eating nuts, etc., shelling nuts, uh, removing uh, liquids from solids, and nursing mothers. These are things which are relevant almost every Shabbos. Let's move on to the next malacha out of the four malachas which were, we want to discuss in the kitchen. And this is the malacha of Teichen. The malacha of Teichen. The malacha of Teichen literally means to grind, to grind what they would do in the time of Chazal or in the farm. They would take the wheat, take the grain, and they would grind the grain. Grind it into a powder, grind it into a flour. That's the, the basic principle behind Teichen. What we're doing is we're breaking down the solid into small particles. And we'll discuss exactly a bit later uh, what the, exactly the malach of Teichen is, but in its simplest form, you're taking a solid and you're grounding it, you're, you're breaking it down into a powder, into, a, a small, into smaller particles. Now, the malach of Teichen does not literally have to be that you're grinding something to a powder. To take a larger solid and grind it or cut it or break it down to smaller particles is already a malach of Teichen. Teichen, therefore, is found whether you are shredding, or you are grating, or you are chopping, or you are dicing, or you are cutting, if you are going to do any of those types of actions in a kitchen, what you are doing is you are taking a larger solid, it doesn't have to be enormous, you are taking a cucumber, whatever it may be, and you are turning it into small pieces, that would be a malacha of teichem. So, practically speaking, we don't have a clear guideline in halacha what the size of a small piece is. We don't know what the size of a small piece is. There is no... Um, clarification in the halacha at all as to what a small piece means. We know that teichen is found in the field when, by turning a solid into powder. We also know that it means larger pieces than the powder is also considered solid. It is considered teichen. But exactly what the size is is unclear. And the, the standard accepted norm is that as long as it's considered small for the... You ask anybody, is this called a small piece? And they'll say, yes, that's called a very small piece. That will be considered teichen. So, to give you some examples of where it might be relevant. We used to make a salad when we were little. Nowadays, salads come in all shapes and sizes and, and, and with all bits and pieces and oranges and nuts and everything inside. Uh, but in my days, we used to make a simple salad. When I was a little boy, my mother used to give us some vegetables, go make yourself a salad. It was, we used to call it the TCP. Tomato, cucumber, and pepper. That was a, that's kind of salad. We didn't have any broccoli and, and all this other stuff and, and, and chopped almonds and, and all that type of thing. It was a simple salad. But how was it done? You would take the tomato and the pepper and the cucumber and you would cut it into very small pieces. To make that salad and Shabbos could be a problem, depending on the size of the pieces that you're going to cut them to. If you cut them into small pieces, now again, there's no clear clarification in halakha what small means. But if you cut them into smallish pieces, you could be having a problem of taken. Because you're taking a large tomato, a large cucumber, a large pepper, and you are cutting it, you're dicing it into small pieces. That's a malakha That's a Cutting up the onions for your egg. Right? Some people have the minute to mix it into the egg, and they mix it before Shabbos, which is fine. Some people have the minute to bring the onion to the table, especially chassidim. My, my wife's grandfather used to do that. Used to bring the onion to the table. Used to have the egg. Everybody got their normal egg. And there would be a plate of tzibul in the middle of the table. You'd bring up a plate of cut onions. To cut the onion up into small pieces on Shabbos would be a problem of taking. Because you're taking a larger article, an onion, and you're dicing it, you're cutting it into small pieces, that's a problem of taking. Cut it into larger pieces, it's absolutely fine. No problem at all. But to cut it into small pieces could be a problem of taking. You're looking at me shocked. If it would be considered the norm, but people come and say, oh, that's, that's a reasonable size, that's not a small piece, uh, then yes, that would be perfectly permitted. Small piece means small. It doesn't have to mean minuscule. Then, then, then one would assume that that's not called small. 
Small means where the average person coming into your home will say, oh, that's a, that, that's a small piece. So you cut up a piece of pepper into a small little tiny square. It doesn't have to be minuscule that you need to take your magnifying glass out to see it. Small piece of pepper is considered small. Slicing cucumber for a cucumber salad. Now, here it's, it's a different issue. Here you're slicing it very thin. Very, very thin, because that's how the cucumber... But you're keeping the whole diameter and the whole width of the cucumber. That's not considered small. Small's got to be across both ways. So taking a cucumber and cutting it up into small little bits might be a, a problem of teichen. But to make a cucumber salad probably is not a problem of teichen. Even though it's very thin, but you, you haven't cut it across both ways. Is that, would that be considered small? I don't know if half would be considered... <laughs> I don't know if half would be considered small. I think if you cut it up into eight, let's just for, for a while. I, you know, again, it's very hard for me because I don't really know. I can't tell any more than Halakha says. But it's got to be small. When we used to make a TCP salad, we would cut it up into eight, right? You take, you, you cut a line down. I have to tell you how to make a salad. We were taught to take a cut a line down, two or three lines down, and then two or three lines across, and then slice it. And you end up with small little square pieces of cucumber. That's small. That's a small piece of cucumber. And anybody comes into your house, you ask them, what's that? They'll say, that's a small piece of cucumber. That's a, a piece of cucumber that's been cut from a large cucumber to a very small piece of cucumber. That can, can, will be considered a second. I can't answer that because, uh, again, as I said to you, it's not clear in halakha what size is called small. Small is what the public, what the, the average person would consider small. Now, I can't, I, I, I'm, I'm not much of a barometer on, on what is considered small. I, to me, a small piece of cucumber is a small piece of cucumber. I know it's a cucumber. It's, it doesn't look anything like a real piece of real cucumber, does it? It doesn't look like a slice. It doesn't look like a, a whole cucumber. It's, I happen to know that's called a cucumber. It's... it's difficult to use that as a, as, a, as, a, as a guide to what's called small. Uh, I don't know. Small is small. Small is small. But then uh, usually you cut a spring onion across, so you, you haven't diced it into, small, into, into real small pieces. You've left it at the same diameter that it always was. That could be, that could be better. That could be better. The Halach of Teichen. Okay, are we ready to move on? The Halach of Teichen is only relevant to something which is growing in the ground. Ein Trina, ein Teichen, ela begidule kaka. There's only an Issa Teichen on something which is growing in the ground. Therefore, to take your liver and chop it on Shabbos, you can chop it as fine as you like. Take your egg and chop it on Shabbos, you can chop it as fine as you like. Take your meat and cut it up into small pieces. No problem at all. Because there's no problem of Teichen on something which has not been grown in the ground. Ain't going to ever do the caca. However, there's one caveat here, however, that's only with regards to food. A non-food item, there is taken, even if it's not going to do the caca. So, for example, to take a stone and crush it on Shabbos. So you were walking along the uh, beach and there was a bit of lime, a limestone, and you just trod on it, and you crashed it on Shabbos, it now became into a powder. That would be a malach of teichen. To take dried mud and break it down into particles will be considered a malach of teichen. To, sh- to shave metal will be a malach of teichen. Now, you might look at me and say, I don't crush stones and I don't shave metal on Shabbos, but what would happen if you went for a walk on Shabbos and your shoes came in full of mud? 
and they were dry, and you came in, and it was dried mud now on, on the base of your shoe, and you wanted to scrape it off. Scraping off that mud and Shabbos could be a mlachotet, because you're taking a dried solid. Mud was, is a mixture of, of earth, and could be a problem of Tehran. Could be a problem of Tehran. Could be a problem of Tehran. Earth has never been ground before. It's been made into a new solid called mud, and you're then grinding it down by scraping it off. That's a problem of Tehran. No, no, because, because it's unlikely that it's going to dry and then... Lumps of dry mud. If you can see them there, then you should avoid them, yes. But do you have to look out for them? If you didn't look out for them and you just walked on it, that's, that's a misastic that you don't even, that's not really it. Wipe your feet is not going to have, you're not going to have mud on the, yeah, because when you wipe your feet on Shabbos, it, it's, any mud that's under the, the sole of your foot would have come off already by walking. It wouldn't have dried, it would have come off as you were walking. Anything that's in, inside the sole, inside the grooves, will remain there anyway, even if you wipe your feet. What we're talking about is taking a knife and scraping it off, or what's by the heel, in between the heel and the shoe, scraping it off with a, with a brush or something. That could be a problem of Tehran. So Tehran is extremely practical. I've already, without, before we've even started the Malach of Tehran, I'm sorry to have to uh, put you back up a little bit, making salads with cutting up Gidune Karka into small pieces of Tehran, a non-food article, cutting it into small pieces, is also considered the Malach of Tehran. It's also considered the Malach of Tehran. We're running out of time. Let's just discuss just for briefly the, the, the mashing. Now we're going to come back and we'll go through the Malach of Tehran at length because there are methods to get around all the problems of Tehran. Mashing. What is the process of mashing? I take a banana. I'd like to discuss mashing bananas. Not discussing mashing something which by mashing it it becomes into, into a powder or into small particles. Mashing a banana. When you mash a banana, it remains in a solid state. It's just broken, completely broken down from its original state into a... I don't even know how you want to discover it. Into a mess. Right. Which is something that, that when one wants to feed a, a, a new, an infant who's beginning to eat solids, you, you will take a banana and you'll mash it and feed the, in, the infant. Is mashing a problem of Tehran or is it not a problem of Tehran? So Moshe Feinstein says there's no problem of mashing on Shabbos. He says mashing is not Tehran. Tehran means to break down a solid into small particles. I'm not breaking down a solid into small particles. The small particles is the very essence of the Malacha of Tehran. That's how Moshe Feinstein writes in the Tshuva. The Chaznish, however, disagrees emphatically with that. And he said... Mashing a banana on Shabbos is an Isidaraisa of Tehran. Because he held that Tehran is not to break down an, an article, a large article, into small particles. It's the breaking down of the large article which is the Malach of Tehran. If I take a, a banana and I mash it, I've now broken down the original large article. It's not a banana anymore. It's, it's some mash at the bottom. I haven't turned it into a powder. I haven't turned it into small particles. That's not relevant. That breaking down, in normal circumstances, you can't break down something without turning it into small particles. Mashing a banana or something of the like is a, an example of breaking down a larger item into something not into smaller particles, but, with, but you, yet you have broken down the larger article. That's also considered taken. And therefore, we have a problem. If I would like to feed my child a mashed banana, he'd probably run a mile, but if I wanted to feed a baby mashed banana, I have, and for us to turn around and say it's perfectly permitted, don't worry, when the Chaznish says it's a Malacha Deraisa, it would make life a little bit difficult. It's hard for me to say, don't worry about the Chaznish, Chaznish was a godl. Say that, don't worry about it. He says the Malacha Deraisa is difficult. Therefore, we need to find a method 
where we can mash a banana on Shabbos and it doesn't have to be banana it can be anything so mashing potato is, is, a, is a different problem mashing, mashing potato which is cooked could be considered not solid anymore because it, it, it's almost broken apart already but mashing uh, it could be mashing potato is different because when you mash a potato to a large degree it, it breaks down into small particles you then add some margarine which my mother talk about because it's uh, terrible terribly unhealthy or a little bit of uh, olive oil that's it you add a little bit of olive oil because that's healthy uh, and then you bind it together you've got enormous problems there so if you take it something and mash it, you might have a problem of, of, of taken. You might have, because you're breaking a larger particle into a small particle. So we need to discuss next, next year, Mr. Shem, how to get around the problem of taken. Practically speaking, we need to get around it, uh, and how to get around the problem of taken. Uh, the numerous different um, areas of taken which we have to discuss, so which will make taken a bit more understandable and a bit easier, practically speaking, when we are working in the kitchen. Different areas of taken which we haven't discussed, we will discuss. Uh, I've written m- much more, I thought we'll get through this week. But Metzshem in the coming year will discuss again the Malacha of Teichen and how one can get around some of the problem, problems with Teichen to make life in the kitchen that little bit easier. Just to finish off with a very small, very short debate here. This week's Sedra is the Pasha of Kiddush HaChodesh. HaChodesh Hazel Lachem Rosh Shei Chodashim Rishon Hu Lachem Lachot Shashama. HaChodesh Hazel Lachem HaChodesh Bochul commanded Moshe Rabbeinu to take a look at the moon and understand that this that's what you have to see that's what you have to make holy every single month month in, month out the Sipurna says something extremely intriguing on these words he says the months are yours till now they weren't yours from now on they're yours now, says the Sephora, begins the process of Bechir. Now begins the process of Bechir. You're now moved into a new world, into the world of Bechir. To understand what the Sephora is saying, let's try and understand it in very simple terms. When man, when Kalisrol was in Mitzrayim, we were bound by the Egyptians, we were bound to everything that the Egyptians, we were slaves. A slave is totally bound to his master. Everything about a slave belongs to his master. Masha, Kona, Ebed, Kona, Rabbi, everything. Everything that belongs to him belongs to his master. His very being belongs to his master. Even his time is his master's. His master can say to him, work whenever he wants him to work. Everything belongs to his master. You are now within a, a, a frame, a time frame of something which isn't really yours. You're not in control of your own time. You're not in control of your own time. Physically, when we live in, a, in the physical world, time is also part of nature. The sun moves around the world. The, the movement of the sun to the earth is what we, in the... In, in, science would call time, that's called time sun moving in conjunction to the earth is called time we have no control over time, we live with time, time p- passes us by and uh, to, to the detriment of all of us, time passes us by and that's time we are in, not in control of time says the Sephora, says the from now on you have to understand that there is an element of time which is completely in your control, man has the ability to rise above the physical time and live in a time frame, in a time zone which is completely controlled by yourself we have the ability to move into a, a time which is above and beyond the physical time. In the physical world, there's pain. In the physical world, there's sorrow. In the physical world, there's, the world, there's at times pleasure. It's a world where there is 
pain and pleasure there set into the world and there's nothing we can do about it. But we have the ability to move into a different time frame, into a different time zone, the time zone of Achodesh HaZelochem, into the time zone which is beyond the physical time, into the spiritual time zone. When we move into the new world of time, in the new world of time, then we are in total control. We have now a Bechira. We can choose how we want to live our lives. Do we want to live our lives in the world of time, in the physical world of time, and be subject to the physical world? Or do we want to live in the world of spirituality, a time which is above and beyond? Living together in the, with the time of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That time, that we, we are in total control. The purpose of the, the renewal of the moon, the moon waxes and wanes, the, the newness of the, new, of the moon is that to send us a message that time isn't just a constant. Sun and the, moon, and the sun on the earth is a constant. Time just moves. There's no waxing and waning in the sun. It moves around in its orbit and it continues on day in, day out. In fact, there's no, no months of, of the sun. The, 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 the Western calendar is just a made-up made calendar. It's working with the orbit of the sun, so we should always end up at the same point at the same time. But there's no year and there's no beginning of the year and there's no end of the year and there's no months. There's nothing. There's a monotony. The sun is nothing more than a monotonous orbit, round, 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 round. The moon, however, waxes and wanes. The moon has times when it's bright and times when it's dark. The moon shows us every month a new schatches, a new newness, a new beginning to tell us that we are not just static. We are people who have an ability to climb, ability to move, ability to reach out and shine like the moon shines in, its, in the middle of the month. And unfortunately, if we don't behave as we should, we, we will become the moon towards the end. We will begin to wane towards the end of the, end of the month comes the beginning of the month and we can revitalize ourselves again. We are now within the control of our own selves. Bechiriah. is the beginning of the time of Bechiriah. You are now your own balabos. You are your own person. Choose. You choose. Choose time wisely and then you've elevated time to something above and beyond. You don't live in the physical world as, as in, in reality. Yes, we are here in the physical world but in reality, HaKadosh Baruch says, you're not in this world. If you don't choose time wisely and you live in the world of Teva, then you, you, you are subject to everything that Teva has for you. Choose wisely. Live in the spirituality. Live in the world of time which is above and beyond. Fix your calendar on the moon and understand what the moon is telling you. The message of the moon is that renew yourself. Continue to renew yourself. Continue to climb into new heights and new heights. Elevate that time. Elevate every moment of your time. Then we will, we will in return see that every moment of time that we utilize to its fullest will come back to... to, to to, to, to enable us to live in the future with, in the reality of time in the real time with a tremendous brach of HaKadosh Baruch with a tremendous shefer of HaKadosh Baruch Amen